Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com fool. It's Thursday, November 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts Ron Gross and Andy Cross. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Fellas, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. We've got sleet. We've got snow. Yeah, snow, Mac. Let's say, we'll say it was, it sleet. was sleet. Yeah, but let's, let's focus on the snow. It's that time of year, man. 6 a.m., it was sleet. Yeah. I went out, got the newspaper. Yes, I still That's awesome. old school read the newspaper, and it was sleeting. Schools closed in yes. Montgomery County, Maryland. Yep. Why, yeah. you ask? I don't know. Well, it's it was sleeting. Sleeping. All right, sleeping. a little bit of yeah. sleep. It was yeah. slippery. No, and the in the mean streets of North Arlington, schools did not close. <laughs> they stayed open. It's rough and tumble. We're gritty. We're gritty, Ron. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we've got lots to talk about here. We're going to talk some Warren Buffett, and we're going to talk some Levi's. And um, and I am going to ask you guys to share your jeans wearing history. So that just you know a little 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 catnip for people to look forward to. But let's start with Walmart. Stronger than expected earnings. Eleven straight quarters of sales growth now. Andy, e-commerce sales up forty three percent, and Walmart raised full year guidance. So that all sounds great. And then I go and I quote the stock, and shares are down. Yeah, Mac. I mean, of course, one day the stock. Price can move on a lot of reasons, but like the story here with Walmart, as we talked about last quarter, is really the e-commerce, just the change that they are really trying to push ahead, and just even the commentary. There's so much conversation about the investments they are making in more sophisticated distribution warehouses, online grocery delivery, grocery pickup is a big push for them. So the e-commerce business, Mac, like you said, up 43% this quarter. That's an improvement of 40% last quarter. 33% increase the quarter before that, and 23% four quarters ago. So, just the year-on-year improvement and the continuing of the trend on the e-commerce sales for Walmart continues to be impressive. Um, you know, the stock reaction today. I think there was probably like, ah, it's still kind of a slow, kind of growing. Like sales are up 1.4%, 2.4% if you back out some of the currency. So maybe not quite so exciting, uh, but really, for such a large company, they continue to make these investments to try to move the needle and obviously compete against Amazon. Yeah, a lot of good things to focus on in this report. I think the the curmudgeonly traders out there today are probably probably focusing on margins that got hit a little bit due to higher transportation costs, rising e-commerce fulfillment costs, which they actually you know that's a good thing because that means they're growing their e-commerce business, but nevertheless it does come with higher costs. Profits actually down two percent, so it's hard to get excited about a report where profits are down from from the previous period last year. So I think that's probably what folks are are, are focusing on. But I do like the raised guidance. I think that that makes sense. The stock has been all over the place this year from. February through August, it was a it was a woof, as you like to say. Woof. Um, but but it's come back since then, probably kind of flat year to date. Um, so nothing really exciting coming from the stock. I like the raised guidance, only twenty one times earnings right here. Um, 
for a company that will probably grow in the low single digits. Um, we'll we'll see how that e-commerce continues to ramp. Well, and they also closed the Flipkart acquisition, which is the Indian business, which they competed a lot for. And that's expensive, and that added to the debt pile for what they have. But that, that that's an exciting investment to make. So they are they are definitely not standing still. Certainly not the Walmart story of you know even five years ago with the investments they're making. And they have to because it's so much more of a competitive space with free shipping from the likes of Amazon and others who are not standing still. So you know you have a company that's going to generate fifteen billion dollars or so in free cash flow. They're going to basically run spend that all in dividends and share buybacks. So yeah. it's really a, a return of capital kind of story for investors. The stocks at, reacted very nicely off the lows here earlier this year. You know at hundred bucks it sells about twenty one times earnings. A slight premium to to the market when you look at look forward earnings. So probably not a ton to get excited about in the stock price. But from the business side, they're making the investments that are important. We used to talk about how they've got to right-size the U.S. business. The U.S. business is everything we talked about. Now they've they've got it humming along. International though isn't isn't where they would want to be. You know, Andy mentioned the Flipkart acquisition, which I think is is a really interesting one. Unfortunately, the CEO of that um, business unit had to resign following an allegation of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. So obviously, that kind of throws a little bit monkey wrench into into some works. They had to shed control of their Brazil operations. They merged their UK operations with a rival to focus on the U.S. business and their e-commerce business. So international. Kind of floundering. They need to figure that out next. I think. You know, just on the on the U.S. side, the comp growth of three point four percent. That's a one point two percent increase in traffic. So more people coming into the stores, but a 2.2% increase on the on the average ticket price. So they actually are seeing a little bit of benefits, and that, that's a little bit a little bit higher than inflation. So they actually are seeing some benefits from some of the some of the pricing mechanisms that they're putting forward, and that's an increase off of the 1.2% from last quarter. So they are actually seeing some pricing benefits, which you don't really particularly expect to see that from Walmart in this kind of environment. And along those lines, let's talk about two areas of the business that that really appear to be growing. Toys, so benefiting from the Toys R Us bankruptcy, right. and groceries. By the end of the year, Walmart expects to be able to deliver groceries to 40% of the U.S. population. I guess if you look at my household, groceries and toys are a pretty good spot to, <laughs> to focus in with two young kids. And that's, you know, bread and butter trying to serve the, the the customer base that Walmart wants to serve in ways that are more convenient. And that's, as Ron mentioned, their their investments in that. The new distribution center they've been, they've been working on in California will allow them to ship Product goods that are forty percent fast at a forty percent faster rate than their traditional distribution centers. So a lot of investments, a lot of robotic investments going into the distribution centers. So Amazon's done this so well. Walmart now playing catch up. You know the groceries. We all buy groceries. I mean, I eat every day, Mac. So um, I, I and I've seen you eat. Pretty much almost it's every not day. Pretty. Certainly, Ron. It, is not pretty. it may not be pretty. Uh, I don't like to miss a meal. <laughs> but we all depend on food, and uh, so it's it's a it's a good spot for them to focus on and, and trying to now meet the customers um, where they want to be met. I love this quote. CEO McMillan said, "Walmart can offer fresh food within ten miles of ninety percent of the yep. U.S. population." That's that's pretty powerful. That's and you're still and you're still curmudgeonly. Or are you coming off that? <laughs> no, it's. Just, I mean, it's not good. This this company and this stock is not going to knock the cover off the ball. But from a total return perspective, yep. as part of your more conservative portion of your portfolio, I, I got no problem with yeah, it. Yeah, two percent dividend yield. I mean, like it's not. Don't expect fireworks. But um, certainly over the last couple of months, it's been a, a nice performer for people who have held on. 
Okay, well, speaking of nice performers, there's a guy named Warren Buffett who's got a pretty good track record, is my understanding, yeah, as an investor. He's done fine. And his company, Berkshire Hathaway, just reported its third quarter holdings. And boy, does Buffett or someone over at Berkshire really like banks. Guys, let me just give you the, the 10 holdings quickly and see if you notice a theme here. Apple, this is the biggest holding. Then we've got Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Coke, Kraft Heinz, American Express, U.S. Bank Corp, Moody's, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Five <laughs> of the ten are banks. You know, you look at this portfolio and you say, a bunch of banks and a bunch of consumer staple-ish stocks. It doesn't seem to be a very exciting portfolio. The curmudgeonly trader. There you go again. <laughs> um, but, you know, Mr. Buffett doesn't know what he's doing. You know, when you, when, you, when I think of Buffett, I think of kind of, you know, the, that folksy guy who likes, sees candy kind of businesses, old economy types of businesses. But we forget he is a student of financials, whether it be insurance or financial services or the big banks. You'll remember long ago, he was actually interim chairman of Solomon Brothers. And subsequent in various um, kind of financial crises, he's helped bail out more than one um, large bank. So he understands these companies where, I'll, where I will say I tend to not because they, they seem like a black box to me. But he clearly does. And I think that makes him comfortable investing you know big portions of his portfolio especially in this type of environment where interest rates are going to start to rise and I think he probably you know less regulation yeah. he sees some some good stuff on the horizon and knowing what he knows about how these banks run he's comfortable yeah, so, and, so does this get you more interested in banks Ron no <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Warren Buffett has insights into, like Ron was saying, the financial um, world uh, from his uh, what sixty years of investing um, in all types of businesses. He also has has um, uh, uh, the Todd and Ted partnership yeah. helping him out in the investing landscape as well. So, you know, but you you, you look through his portfolio and you, you do see companies like the airline investments they've made over the last couple, over the last year or so um, combined with a lot of financials. The financial investment doesn't really surprise me. Ron mentioned the rising interest rates. They they are getting um, from a from a scale perspective, from a competitive position, um, the largest banks continue to kind of widen those moats. Um, Frankly, Mr. Buffett is not one that's going to pay ten times revenues per se for you know software as a service companies, and he has a lot of capital to put to work. They have hundred billion dollars of, of um, cash on the balance sheet, but they generate so much cash from their operating businesses to be able to invest. So making investments like this, including Oracle, which they which they bought last quarter as well too. So. Um, these are the kind of investments you expect to see from Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, given the size of the organization and the amount of capital they generate, um, and just their traditional valuation bent and thinking, uh, that these don't really surprise me from these investments. He knows them well. Yeah, and it's it is good to see the the Ted and Todd influence. I think you know Buffett was notorious for staying away from tech. And he said it was because he couldn't understand it. I don't. It's not really about not understanding. It's about not being able to predict the future, which I completely understand. But it's nice to at least see him in consumer electronics like Apple, uh, Oracle, a business where either he or Ted or Todd um, under can understand. We saw recent investments in fintech, um, financial technology companies, which uh, good to see because clearly that's going to be you know a big place to put capital for the future. So I like to see uh, some of that in addition to kind of the old you know Kraft Coke. 
Amex kind of uh, stocks that he's owned forever. Yeah, and by the way, let's not forget, he's also buying his own stock. That's great. I mean, they yes. bought almost a billion dollars worth of Berkshire Hathaway stock over the last uh, last quarter. I mean, that's, that's significant because he doesn't really go out there and aggressively buy those stocks. And he said, changed his methodology for thinking about when to buy that stock from a price to book value uh um, target to when we think the stock is undervalued, and they bought a bunch last quarter. Yeah, well, I will be curious to see if he starts buying even more Apple because, for perspective here, Apple, his largest position by far, almost fifty-seven billion dollars worth of Apple stock. Bank of America around twenty-five billion. Wells Fargo. Twenty-three billion. So Apple, far and away. I would imagine with the Apple weakness that we've seen lately, he is in in the market buying more. That's just a guess. I don't think he gets hung up um, as much as as traditional Wall Street does on kind of these kind of quarter to quarter iPhone unit sales numbers. I think he's thinking longer term about what Apple will do in terms of generating cash flow and buying back stock over the next five or ten years. So I would imagine he's increasing his position on this weakness. So if if I'm an investor and I hear about these ten holdings and I'm like, you know what, Buffett's had an incredible track record, one of the most successful public market investors in history. Why not just mimic this portfolio? Why not just go out and buy these ten stocks? I don't. I think you would be better off buying Berkshire Hathaway almost than. Yeah, you you could mimic these stocks, but then then what? Because he's constantly changing the portfolio, adding to other companies. But more important, you're getting all the operating businesses of Berkshire Hathaway, which are generating you know all those millions and millions, billions of dollars of cash flow. The Geico, you know, generating the float capital, which he then can invest in in stocks. So if just buying these publicly traded companies, you would be you know you would not be getting all those operating businesses as well. Now I think if you want to go investing in some of these businesses, you know, they can be fine investments. But considering he was buying his own stock and he's pretty particular about when they buy that stock, I think Berkshire Hatch is one of my largest personal positions. Me too. Um, and I just think that's probably continuing. I think the stock is undervalued now. So if you wanted to put your money behind. Mr. Buffett and that team, especially with the insurance operations that Ron mentioned and the operating businesses by Berkshire Hathaway. And guys, before we talk about our next story, I want to mention that support for Market Foolery comes from NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. NetSuite shows you everything about your business revenues, expenses, customers, orders, e commerce, all in real time, keeping your company safe. From fraud. Do we agree that we want to be safe from fraud? I hate fraud. I hate fraud too. Okay, well, NetSuite will save you time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly right from your desk or phone. And Ron and Andy, this isn't some one size fits all software. NetSuite works the way your business works. That's why thousands of the best known brands and fastest growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you and is more affordable than you think. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Okay, guys, our final story, one that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk Levi's. We're going to talk denim. We're going to talk jeans. Now, they're getting ready to open this massive flagship store in Times Square. It'll be their largest store in the world. But that's not why we're talking about Levi's. We're talking about Levi's because, according to reports, they are talking about going public again. 
And I say again because Levi's was a public company from 1971 to 1985. So, does a Levi's IPO have us excited? An iconic American brand for sure. Um, they're trying to raise 600 to 800 million, a valuation of around 5 billion, it looks like. Um, I don't know if it gets me excited from a stock perspective. I I have to see what kind of you know valuation this looks like relative to to cash flow and earnings. Um, I don't know what growth potential looks like. Uh, whether this is an international play or a retail play. Um, obviously, you know they have their own stores, almost three thousand of them, but they sell into fifty thousand retail locations around the world. Um, Levi's, Dockers, Denizen Brands. You know, I'll keep an eye on it. It's not, you know, it's not some hot tech IPO, that's for sure. But I've never been a hot tech IPO investor anyway. So. And, and apparently, Ron, we were we were talking about this before. Apparently, Levi's T-shirts are all the rage these days. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I'm telling you, iconic. It's it's an iconic American brand. And did you ever wear Dockers? Yeah, yeah. The only old men wear Dockers is my question. Only with pleats. Because then I'll answer your question. (laughs) I wore pleats for like 10 years too long. And finally, I had a group of friends. It was like an intervention. And they basically said, you got to quit wearing pleated pants. Yeah. And no one had yeah. told me. And apparently, the braided belt that went that, out. That went out too. Did you wear the stretch uh, waistband dockers or just the, the straight up? Dockers? No, 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 straight up dockers. But they were like pleated, and it yeah. was it was a bad look. Yeah. And someone should have just pulled me aside. I mean, sometimes tough love is. the Don't best throw love. out that braided yeah. belt. That'll come back. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm banking on it. Andy, what do you think, of Levi's? Well, I was saying um, it, it looks like Ron was saying it's not some even though it's headquartered in San Francisco, not some you know um, high tech. Uh, investment and it's not. It's it'll probably be priced probably around one-time sales. It, it looks profitable. It looks like it's growing nicely. It has been a, a, a resurgence here, along with the kind of the, Ron was saying the iconic brand, the Americana. Um, so there's there's enough to get me kind of excited. But but the business in general is is proven to be. Quite tough over the years, and I mean, Gap struggled, and we just know what the retail channels are looking like with them. Um, more and more, of their their business might be tied to their own distribution rather than dependent on the likes of the uh, other store storefronts, um, uh, particularly those that are tied more to malls, which we you know traffic is down there. So, will be interesting to think to see how they use. Their brand and how that translates to a new buying experience compared to where it was, you know, the last time it went through the public markets, which is a, of course, a much different marketplace now. I'd be curious why they need six hundred to eight hundred million of capital. Is it is somebody trying to cash out of this business? Do they need that capital because of some growth strategy? I'd need to see kind of their projected use of funds. Yeah, and how much the family still owns mm-hmm. maybe tied to it. So um, it is, it is interesting the why now. Like, yeah. like, what what is it right now? Are they really trying to push a growth story that they can't fund internally with their own capital? Um, uh, why offer shares versus taking on more debt, which is pretty cheap right now? So it might be a liquidity event from from um, a, a core group of shareholders. And the business is 165 years old. That's pretty cool. amazing. Yeah, that is very very yeah. cool. And here's another fun fact: so if you're out and about and there's a lull in the conversation. <laughs> Okay, worldwide denim market ninety five point five billion. How much of that does Levi's have, according to twenty seventeen figures? Fifteen uh, percent. Andy, I'll say a little bit less than that. I'll say ten. 
5.3%. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's a lot of upside if you think denim is going to be around for a while. Kids do not wear jeans anymore. I, I, That's ma- true. Male, male children, the, the, the girls still wear them, but there is no jean market right That's now true. for kids. We, so that might be an opportunity, uh, yeah, or it might be a, a red good flag. Point. Yeah. That's such a good point. My boys will not wear jeans. They wear athleisure wear. And it's just, and I know that, that isn't it Under Armour that hates that term? I guess. Athleisure uh, wear, but that's what it is. It's Lululemon. But that's what it is. It's like athleisure. It's something that I'm going to be wearing in 20 years when I drive a golf cart. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> Sign me up. Okay, so as we wrap up, I've I've got to I've got to ask. We talked Dockers earlier. Yeah. Let's let's briefly belly up to the bar here and talk about our jean wearing history. Andy Cross just give me the, give me the, give me the overview. Yeah, well, so I I've 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 gone through Wranglers, I've gone through <laughs> Lees. Um, I never was like the super. I, of course, I'm not now a super um, fashion you know person, but I did I did have um, a little bit of one embarrassing gene moment. We were at a, a Motley Fool board of directors, and Tom Gardner was trying to get us all a bond and was talking about an embarrassing story, and and um, I mentioned one thing that I just kind of like to do when I try on jeans is to back when I used to go to the store, try them on, and kind of turn around and check out how my backside looks in the mirror. <laughs> You're talking the board. Then. So I was mentioning oh, I mentioned gosh. this to the board of directors, like when I go trying oh, jeans gosh. years ago, and it got a really good laugh. Um, but I, I that was one of my I wish I had that story wow. back from the board of true directors. True confessions. It was a true confessions. But um, but yeah, I have a pair of Levi's on right now, and that's kind of a standard go to. They're affordable, and you know they've opened up their lots of different types of, of styles that match what. I want so, Ron. The jeans I am currently wearing as we speak are nine years old and from the Gap, and I'm nice. sure they're not in style anymore. But I wouldn't <laughs> were even, they ever? Were I they ever? I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know if the Gap ever. I wouldn't even know how to tell. And what would you say was your most stylish <laughs> jeans? If, if we Ooh, go back, if we get the way back sad. machine. So I don't know how much of our audience remembers George Ash or even Ooh. Sassoon jeans. Oh, wow. Um, but in sixth grade, I had a brand spanking new pair of George Ash that I refused to wear because they were designer and tight and ridiculous, but yet I found myself having to throw them on to attend a band concert that the parents all attended in, in their sixth grade uh, uh, auditorium. And it was, I, I remember it to this day, I'm sure I dream about it consistently because it was just so embarrassing and traumatic. You guys ever go the Mavi route? I did Mavi's no. for a while. What is that? Mavi's is a, it's a brand. They're still around. You can still uh. buy them on Zappos and Amazon. And Lucky around. makes yeah, a nice so pair of Lucky, jeans. yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Surprised, neither of you, I'm, I'm surprised neither of you mentioned Tough Skins because I would rock the Tough Skins <laughs> in elementary school. <laughs> tough Skins, that's yeah. and then, and then I kinda... Aren't they for husky children? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. The shoe fit, the I, jean I fits. Was, I was not husky. And then I went through kind of a dark period in college where I wore Wranglers with Stan Smith tennis shoes, Ooh, which is a terrible okay. look. If you're going to wear Wranglers, you have to wear boots. And I think technically you probably have to like dip or chew. And I didn't do any <laughs> oh, yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Are you wearing so, Kirkland jeans right now? Well, Costco? you know, I've 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 gotten religion, and <laughs> yeah. and I I was wearing Kirkland for a while, and then I realized, you know what? And I love Costco. You know, you know, I love Costco. Yo, we know, but Kirkland is just—I feel like you've just given up. Yeah, and so I finally said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Levi's. Now I'm wearing Levi's 501. They look amazing. I'm, I'm happy as yeah. a clam, but I'm not turning around. I don't do that. Yeah. I just no. put them on. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. there yeah. you go. You know that strip that is along the leg that says what size they are? Oh the, yeah, the, the adhesive strip. I once went to a party forgetting to remove that <laughs> oh, adhesive yeah. strip, and I got there. And luckily, it was friends who pointed it out. But before oh. they told me, they took a picture of it. <laughs> it was me. I was wearing like a blazer jeans and the adhesive 
massive strips, they get a, whatever size they were. See, I think that that means you're just incredibly secure. And you're so confident that you're like, you know, this is how I roll. Yeah. Then again, it's there on purpose. Then again, I didn't get married until I was forty, so you got to cons- <laughs> consider yeah. the source. Yeah, you're no source. Yeah. Okay. Acid wash guys go to the acid oh, wash. Oh yeah, 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 I, I did love that. Yeah. the acid wash. Acid wash. It's more stone wash. It's more stone wash. But you like you like acid wash. Worked for me for good two. I'm from New York. Yeah, New York and Jersey. Bon Jovi, full on Bon Jovi. Good times. Okay, so the Desert Island poll. It's a little tricky this time. I think I know where you're going with this, but if you had to invest in one of these companies that we've talked about, you're on a desert island for the next five years, and I should preface this by saying, don't invest this way. It's just it's just a fun <laughs> game. Walmart, Berkshire Hathaway, or the soon-to-be, maybe, Levi's IPO. Dandy. Berkshire? Uh, yeah, I got to go Berkshire on that. Okay. No-brainer. Again, yeah. one of our, I think it's my biggest holding, actually, um, and uh, I'm a, a proud shareholder. Okay, well, there you go. Andy Cross, Ron Gross, thanks for joining me. Thanks, fellas. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email. If you have any questions or comments, or if you just want to talk about your genes history, <laughs> we would love, love, love to hear it. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and for the Jordash wearing Ron Gross, and for the very fashionable Andy Cross, the show is mixed by Austin Morgan. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.